V1. Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Terrain. Terrain. Pull up. Terrain. Welcome to the Flight Safety Detectives. Hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation safety experts, talk all things related to aviation and aerospace. This podcast and the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel are brought to you by the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, PAMA, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance and your one-stop for all general aviation insurance needs. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Tell them you're a listener of the show and receive a 5% discount. Now it's time to buckle up because it's wheels up for the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Well, hello, John. It's another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. It's apparent that both of us are in our undisclosed locations today. Um, <laughs> it's obvious that uh, you're in a very undisclosed location. It looks like it has no address, so you must be in the witness protection program today. That's I've escaped. <laughs> I've escaped to the in uh, in uh, Cam near Cambridge, Vermont. Well, good. It's a good place. Right. I don't know that there's an address here. <laughs> yep, as it should be. Well, on our last episode, we started talking about a Cessna 421C model where an engine failure led to the pilot not following uh, proper procedures and resulted in uh, loss of control right after takeoff. And when you look at the circumstances of the accident and what the NTSB did during the course of their investigation, they identified the obvious, that is, they identified the fact that there was an engine failure. They dissected the engine and then and they came up with some results, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, they talked about the fact that the pilot lost control of the airplane, but they really didn't get into the heart of the matter. And that was why the pilot failed to follow proper procedures, given the fact that he had just come out of training. And we'll talk about that as well. But I want to get started with what the NTSB found with, uh, let's start with the engine. And in reading the report, um, let me just read you a couple things, John, because I, I want your take on it. And that is that they, uh, they examined the wreckage, found that the landing gear was down and in the locked position, which is bad for the pilot because the, that gear should have been up. Um, the left propeller blades were in the feathered position. Okay. That is just one of, you know, several procedures that should have been done, except it was done out of sequence. Uh, the fuel selector valve was in the off position. Again, that was one of the procedures, but it was done out of sequence. And then um, in looking at uh, the examination of the left engine, which is the failed engine, the safety board wrote, examination of the left engine revealed signatures consistent with contact between the piston domes and the valves. The crankcase halves were separated and the number one cylinder main bearing was rotated and damaged and distorted severely with bearing fragments. And it goes on to talk about all of the internal damage that had been done on the crank, the cams and uh, the cylinders, as well as some of the pistons. And so again, that's that's uh, factual information that they found 
Um, they did mention a review of engine maintenance records revealed that no maintenance had been performed on the engine that would have required breaking of the crankcase through bolt torques, such as cylinder removal, since its most recent overhaul, which was completed more than three years and 314 hours before the accident flight. The reason for the engine failure could not be determined because of impact and post-accident fire. And so when I read a statement like that, there is always a reason for an engine failure. You had all this damage internally. That doesn't just magically happen, John. And in their probable cause, they cite, they cite the pilot's failure to follow established engine out procedures and to maintain proper airspeed after the total uh, loss of engine power on one of the airplane's two engines during the initial climb. Well, thank you very much. You didn't need to leave the office to come up with that particular statement. Contributing to the accident was the total loss of engine power due to a loss of torque on the crankcase bolts for reasons that could not be determined because of impact and fire. Wait a minute here. You just put in the factual report. You couldn't figure it out. You talk about all this damage, and then you say, we can't figure it out because of damage and, and fire. And then you say that the, the loss of power is due to the, uh, the loss of torque on the crankcase bolts. You got to make up your mind here. Yeah, and they also say uh, that it was a failure to follow procedures by the maintenance department. What they, procedures? They, they didn't say that. They did not say that in their report. They only talk about the failure to follow procedures by the pilot. And, and one of the issues that I really have a problem with is what you just brought up. Okay, so they looked at the maintenance records. They see that it's been three years and 314 hours since uh, anybody supposedly touched that engine. But again, the torque on those bolts doesn't just magically you know, come undone. Yes, the airplane was exposed to a uh, post-crash fire. Yes, heat can do a lot of things. But I've investigated a lot of accidents. You've investigated a lot of accidents where post-crash fire even with the engine sitting in there cooking in those fires, has not loosened the torque on the through bolts or even on the cylinder bolts, cylinder head bolts uh, of engines that have been exposed to high heat fires. Yes. I, I don't understand uh, where they're going with how they got there, given what they said. The engine failed. And I guess, I guess they opened it up, saw all the pieces and said, oh, engine failure. That's enough. Yeah, well, uh, that's great. You don't need to leave the office. They could have sent somebody out there to do that and give them the results. And then they write, uh, you know, uh, a pretty sloppy probable cause. That does not enhance aviation safety. Um, yeah, they, they, they tag the pilot with not following the procedures. And they cite the fact that the procedures in the flight manual um, are X, Y, and Z. But what they don't do and I made a list of things of what they don't do. And this is just a partial list in the interest of, of time for our show. And that is that, you know, in looking at all this, the pilot's last, lack of recent experience in a multi-engine airplane. They never talk about the fact that, yeah, the last time he flew a multi-engine airplane was 90 days prior. And in fact, it was when he was training. Now, he did do an hour and a half, if you will, of a FAM flight when he got the airplane back 
But when you look at doing emergency procedures and, and really operating the aircraft, that was done in the simulator, uh, you know, 90 days prior to the accident. And there's, there's two philosophies that, that I look at there. One, he had been flying a single engine airplane. He had a second airplane and it was a single engine airplane and, and put a lot of time on that in that 90 day period. So now he's back to a single engine airplane, single engine procedure, single engine operation, things like that. That in a, in a, a mental state, if you will, puts him you know, in a very simple airplane. Now he gets back into his complex twin and he has a problem. But he had just come out of training 90 days before where, you know, in that, quote, intense training at SimCom, he went through all of these emergency procedures and he had to demonstrate a high level of proficiency to be satisfactory during the course of the training. And so all of a sudden now he has a real life failure of the left engine right after takeoff, which was one of the scenarios that he had in training. Yet he doesn't follow the prescriptive procedures that he had been trained and was observed to have performed correctly. And the question is, why did the board look at that? Is there an issue there? Is there a problem there? Did he really get the training? Was he on the bottom part of the scale? for satisfactorily completing that? Or was that something that he had no issues with? There is no evidence that they looked at any training notes or interviewed the instructors or even went to SimCom to look at you know what was going on with the pilot during the course of training. It's just, you know, it's just what we're seeing over and over again and what others are seeing as well with some of the reports coming out of the NTSB today. Just just don't have the depth that they, they once had. Well, you know, and they, and they it's cry. Not that, but it's not because of anything that restricts them, other than the fact that they got investigators that don't go beyond the obvious. I mean, we see yeah, it over and, they, and over and over again. You got to dig. You got to be an investigator. You got to ask questions. I mean, basic acts investigation 101 is asking why until you can't ask why anymore. And when it comes to training and when it comes to flying an airplane like this, and when it comes to having a failure of an engine, which this guy just had been trained to handle proficiently, and then he doesn't do it, doesn't that raise your curiosity as an investigator going, what's going on here? You know, management at the NTSB cries for the last several years about resources being down. And maybe they are down. I haven't looked. Right? But, you know, the FAA handles the vast majority of accidents. Why doesn't the NTSB reduce the number of accidents they go out to and the ones that they do take on do a very thorough job of? <laughs> John, they did that. That's what their current philosophy is. 30 yeah, years but, ago, we were doing, you know, over 3,000 accidents. When I first joined the board eons ago, we were doing 4,000 accidents a year with a staff of about 40 investigators. They came out at least 10, maybe 12 years ago now and said, look, we're going to reduce the number of accidents that we actually go out on and we're going to spend more time dissecting them. Well, guess what? That philosophy hasn't worked very well because we're still getting these very simplistic probable cause statements. It's obvious that the pilot failed to follow procedures 
It's obvious that there was a problem with the left engine. You don't need to leave the office to figure that out. The question is, why did these things happen when you have a pilot who is supposedly trained to a level which has been examined by an FAA certified training facility found to be competent and proficient to handle these types of emergencies and 90 days later, he can't do it. He gets amnesia. Yeah. Well, it's just ridiculous because again, are there issues? Do you have to go back to the training source? Do you have to look at this guy's background? Do you have to look at proficiency? Does the FAA have to be involved with some of these things? And are there any recommendations that can be made to improve aviation safety that one of the charters of the board is to put out safety recommendations that they may find? You know, one of the other things, you know, as we talked about, I, I made a list. Uh, the pilot performance during training is evaluated by the instructor. There are so many times where we've seen notes uh, made by instructors where um, you have either a strong pilot candidate or a weak pilot candidate. And if you go back to the Buffalo Continental Express accident, um, the captain and the first officer both had a lot of notes that were in their training records that never really saw the light of day um, by the NTSB. But when you go back and look at all those instructor notes, you get a really good backstory about each of these pilots. And that's where investigators really need to be looking is what is the backstory? It's one thing, you know, to hold the certificate in the rating and, and, you know, have a logbook sign off and a little certificate you hang on your wall that you went through um, training. It's another thing to be able to demonstrate it 90 days later. And we saw this with, uh, with, with the Inhofe accident, Senator Inhofe's son who was killed in an MU2. He got killed doing something that he had just received five days of training for and failed to follow the prescriptive procedures and ended up crashing an MU2 on the way home from training. And again, the question is, what's going on with these pilots in training? Is it superficial training? Is it something just to check the block for insurance? What What's going on here? Yeah, we see it today with, with the uh, massive amount of uh, helicopter training going on because helicopter sales have spiked over the last year by 25%, which is great news for the helicopter industry. But all of a sudden, we're having these problems in training and crashes in training with uh, wannabe helicopter pilots or shortly after training even. So it's, uh, I, I, it, it, be, it defies me. It's beyond my pay grade. There's again, something, uh, yeah, something going on here, and the know. board's not helping out trying to get the uh, causes. Well, again, now, I mean, you have an accident. You look in the statistics of the NTSB. Yeah, it falls under a multi-engine accident. Yeah, it falls under maybe, you know, lack of procedures or the, the pilot's failure to follow procedures. Okay, that's pretty superficial information. You really learn any lessons from that. And, and you know, one of the things about accident investigation is <laughs> lessons learned. What can we take from this accident to improve aviation safety? That's the methodology. It's always been the methodology. You don't just go out there, kick tin, fill the blocks and, you know, say that you did something without having some positive benefit come from each and every one of these accidents. You know, the last thing I want to just touch on since this is in your bailiwick is 
you know, <clears throat> the fact that they identified this loss of torque, they find all this damage internally. And the question is, you know, why didn't they attribute improper maintenance actions, loss of torque on the crankcase bolts to a specific entity and why they failed to perform the maintenance correctly? You know, that had to be a maintenance related issue. Those bolts just didn't magically, you know, untorque themselves. You know, were they properly torqued three years ago when maintenance was done? I would have gone back and looked at that facility, looked at their their procedures, looked at the person who did it, looked at the the tools that they used to see if there was an issue. And, you know, three years later, it culminated in these, you know, the torque values, um, uh, you know, having not been proper to begin with, getting worse over time. Yeah, I just don't understand how that could happen after three years time. Usually it, uh, you know, maintenance problems have a long latency. But three years is an exceptionally long latency. And again, period. then you relate it to how much flight time this airplane had, how many hours. I mean, it only had 314 hours since since last maintenance. So, um, you know, that's about 100 hours a year. So that airplane sat quite a bit. Yeah, it would have been nice. It would have been nice for the maintenance um, world to have more detail put on when they have issues involving maintenance than just saying maintenance procedures or, or couldn't determine what the problem was or even explaining the role of the torque in, the dis, in that engine failure. Correct. Because and I, I, that's a, you bring up a really good point, John. Okay, so how did loosening of those through bolts cause all this internal damage? It wasn't like those case halves you know, had a gap between them. So how is it that loose torque bolts caused this internal damage? That would have been a good explanation. Yeah, it's just missing. And so often in accidents that involve maintenance, that's, you know, I usually describe it as the NTSB takes the, the maintenance event up to the hangar doors and says, okay, it's a maintenance problem. And they never go into the hangar to look. In the cockpit, they go through cockpit procedures up and down, back and forwards. Not only the NTSB, but the manufacturers, they vet every one of those procedures. The maintenance procedures are not vetted in the same way. Uh, they're written and, and put in a manual. And if there's anything wrong with them, they expect the people, the end user to contact them and let them know that there's a problem with their manuals. And it, it's not the way it's done in the cockpit. And I wish it, I wish they revised the way they do it in the hangar just to pick up on all those problems. Exactly. In fact, at one point, at one point in time, United Airlines going way back, they rewrote all their maintenance manuals because of the problems they had with the manufacturer's manuals. And I know FedEx has done the same thing on some of their airplanes when they went through the conversions like the MD-11. Uh, they rewrote all their manuals, updated them and, and applied uh, uh, current logic to them because you know I'm throwing stones at the manual, some of the older manuals, but that's what they did back then. Today we understand human factors in the cockpit, and we have a, a decent understanding of human factors in the hangar, but we're not applying the fixes that we have in the cockpit to the hangar. They just say, okay, yeah, it's in the hangar. Somebody else will deal with it, and they never get addressed. 
Well, I, I think that there's a lot of valuable information that could have been gleaned through this investigation that could have been pumped back into um, the industry, especially the general aviation side, um, because of, you know, again, is it operational discipline? Is it, I mean, how do you, how do you not follow procedures, especially in a multi-engine airplane? I mean, the biggest thing here um, is right after takeoff, gear up, flaps up, you got to maintain blue liner better, you know, level the airplane, maintain control of it, and then go through, um, you know, the procedures as prescribed. But you got to keep the airplane flying and you got to clean it up. You got to jump that rudder to get all that yaw out, but you got to clean up all that drag so that you have the airspeed then to be able to maintain control and then clean it up, identify, verify, feather, and, and then do your shutdown stuff or your engine secure and propeller secure stuff. I mean, it's just, it's very prescriptive. It's obvious that this person, this pilot, fell out of that, that prescriptive mentality in flying the airplane. And, and again, I know that a lot of times we get in an airplane, especially, you know, in this case, it, it had just come out of a different kind of maintenance. Um, they had done an annual and a repaint. But the fact is, is that a lot of times we just think, okay, tacit trust, mechanics have fixed it or done what they needed to do. It's in perfect working order. Kind of like when you take your car to the <laughs> car dealer to have it fixed, you expect when you get it back, it's fixed and it's back into its perfect condition. And, and you, you got to be spring loaded to know that it isn't. That's right. Right. So. I see too many, too many people take airplanes out of maintenance without ever checking them at all. And people that should know better too. And even if this was that check flight, I mean, he's repositioning and it could have been a quasi maintenance check flight, if you will. That's great. But again, you have to be prepared for the worst and not assume the best. And well, how many how many accidents we've looked at where we talk? I talk on every show about being prepared. You know, engine failure on takeoff. Where am I going to put the airplane? Yeah, you, know, you need to think about case, that stuff before you take off. Or in this case, with a multi-engine airplane, just run those procedures through your head so that they're right up front on the RAM instead of the hard drive. Wait back there, trying to, you know, just waiting for something bad to happen. Because a lot of times you don't have a lot of time. You just have to react. And in this case, he needed to react because it had happened just after takeoff. Clean it up, keep the speed, and then start doing what you need to do to be a real pilot in that situation. So, well, I know that, uh, you know, these are the kinds of things that frustrate you and I because there is a lot of a lot of information that is left on the table or using a football analogy, there's a lot of points and plays that were left on the field. Um, and, and again, we're trying to benefit the industry through accident and incident investigation. These are the lessons learned. This is the stuff that helps others be better pilots in a variety of different ways. And in fact, it helps mechanics. Again, what's the importance of having proper torque on those through bolts? Why was you know, why was there a deficiency? And most likely there was a deficiency somewhere along the line. The question is where it happened and why it happened. That's the benefit. That's the information that needs to go back as to the criticality. You know, there's, there's a lot of signs out there. I see it in a variety of different places where, and I even have it in our house, 
And that is doing the right thing, even when no one's looking. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, you you got to get it 150% all the time. Yep. Yep. I just wish they, they would uh, have a better, better checklist for themselves so that they, when they complete the investigations, they look at them and make sure they've hit all these points. Because like you said, we see far too many accident reports that they just missed uh, an issue that, that could have helped the industry. Yeah, I mean, just going to the obvious doesn't help anybody. All it does is say that, you know, you went, you went out, you kind of did your job, you filled the square and you moved on. And that's not what this is all about. So, well, my friend, um, I'm glad that we were able to, uh, to talk about this accident. And uh, we're going to be looking for additional accidents um, coming up to do the same thing with. Again, uh, just for our listeners and, and our viewers, this is not NTSB bashing intentionally. This is what we see. And it's not only with them. I've seen it with foreign accident authorities as well. The key here is how do we benefit aviation safety through accident investigation? And that is really the intent. Is there more to be learned in these investigations that can help us all um, be better pilots, be better mechanics, be better um, aviation managers, better uh, manufacturers, whatever. And, and that's really what it's all about. So with that being said, John, I will leave you with our last words. So as always, if you're going to go fly, please do a very thorough job of planning your flight. Start planning before you leave your hotel room or your, your house. When you get to the airport, redo it all again. Remember to check the weather, not just where you are and where you're going, what's in between and what could be happening in between. And when you go out to your airplane, do a very thorough pre-flight. If you have an engine failure on takeoff, you should already know where you're going to put the airplane. You should have already looked at the, at, uh, the surrounding terrain and know in your head where you're going to put the airplane and what procedures you're going to follow. And then when you get in the air, please put your head on the swivel. See and avoid is alive and well, and we continue to have accidents where Pilots should have seen each other and they didn't. So please fly safely. To listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to flightsafetydetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount. Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives and remember to always fly safe. <laughs>